Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Goals on Film, Edge of the Crowd's dedicated sports movies podcast. I'm your host, Jason. I've got Stewie with me for this one. How are you doing? I'm good, mate. Um, we delved into the, uh, you know, the not so good filmography of Adam Sandler last week. And uh, this week we've dived into something that is much, much better. I'm excited to talk about it, mate. Yeah, no, it absolutely is much better. And like we will get into talking about him and his particular roles and how this is so different to his comedic roles that we do know him in. But uh, we will get to that. But I'll first introduce the movie. Uh, this week we are doing 2019 basketball gambling movie, uh, Uncut Gems. Um, I'm sure that we'll get into it as well that, you know, it's not so much a sports movie, it obviously centres around a lot of sport, uh, but it's not so much a sport movie. So it's kind of like stretching it a little bit and uh, I'm sure that we'll get into that because you did make a comment to me last night, Stu, when we were watching it, that you thought there was more sport in it than <laughs> But uh, I'll just give you a little bit of a synopsis. Uncut Gems is about a jeweler and gambling addict, Howard Ratner, who manages to get a hold of a rare Ethiopian jewel, uh, Opal, hoping that this will help him pay off his gambling debts, including one to his loan shark brother, Arno. Howard's business associate, Damani, brings Boston Celtics star Kevin Garnett to the shop, with the basketballer taking an interest in the Opal, insisting on holding it onto it for that night's game for good luck. Howard then bets big on Kevin having a good game, but it is stopped by his brother as Howard tries to locate the Opal, sell the Opal, all in the hope of repaying his debts to multiple people. After selling it to Kevin later down the line, he still manages to place a bet on game seven despite having enough money on hand. And with the mobsters watching him riding every bet, he does win, releases the mobsters from their confined room, and one of them, Phil, shoots uh, Howard at point blank range as Arno protests and the rest of the thugs loot the store and you know that ending it's a little bit confusing um, it's more confusing than that even but we will go into that a little bit later as well and try and explain it but Stewie in thinking about this movie overall what did you like about it? Uh, I loved it it was uh, it was just a great story um, it's it's shot in like a tense and anxiety inducing kind of manner um and i really enjoyed that just for its uniqueness um adam sandler is terrific in it um lakeith stanfield i'm a massive lakeith stanfield fan i think i've established that on previous episodes um so it was great to see him as well you know kevin garnett is pretty good in it sort of considering he's a uh, he's a basketball player it's his you know, first ever acting role. So, yeah, it was really good. And that ending, man, that was uh, that was one hell of an ending. And uh, when I saw it first time around, I, I was completely shocked. Honestly, it's it's almost criminal that this movie didn't get recognised at the 2020 Academy Awards. Um, I think if Adam Sandler was ever going to win any kind of acting award, any kind of Oscar or, or Golden Globe or anything like that, it would have been for this movie. So unfortunately, he hasn't been recognised, but he's being recognised by us on this episode. So that's fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think that uh, it won't be the first time that we mentioned Adam Sandler um, and it won't be the last either. And so I think that it is just so different to what you uh, sort of expect Adam Sandler to be like um, in a movie. And so, yeah, as I said, we'll get into that a little bit later as well. But I think that this movie, it was just very sort of like, 
pulsating. It was very tense. Um, it was very sort of like, um, it was like almost like really erratic in some instances. It was really like um, climactic, especially at the end. Um, you know, like it's just like that fast paced of it, that fast paced nature of it all. Like it kept you really engaged in what was happening. Like everything happened so quickly that like you didn't really have like much time to really stop and take a breath and process everything that was happening. And I think that it worked really well for this movie as well. And so I think that, you know, it kept your engagement up in that regard. And I think that, you know, it was a really different movie in terms of like making you like sort of think um, as the movie was going along, um, you know, like even just like, who these people were, how they were connected to these people, what these people want, what Howard, you know, needs to do. Like, I think that, you know, throughout the movie, like, you just kept on asking questions of it. And almost at times, like, you didn't even have time to properly process what the answers would be. Like, it was just that fast paced. But like I said, I think that it worked really well for this movie. And uh, yeah, I was a big fan of this movie. Absolutely. And for people keeping score at home, I uh, gave it an 8 out of 10 on IMDb. Awesome. Well, before we get into the episode itself, I do just want to give you, I just, I have a couple of fun facts, uh, some interesting facts, um, Stewie, as uh, okay. you would have heard me muttering um, a little bit as I was doing the preparation before we hit record. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, Tell I me want, all about it. Yeah. Well, I think the first one, you might, um, you might like this. The word fuck. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I know this one, yeah. <laughs> it's said quite often in this movie. Do you want to hazard a guess at how many times it's actually muttered? Uh, I think I know the answer. It's like 900 and something. Works out for like four point something a minute. Is that is that right? Did we read the same thing? Yeah, so it does. So it does. Um, so it is an average of 4.15 times per minute. Yes, you're right. Mm -hmm. um, it's actually only muttered 560 times. Um, so not quite at that 900, but in terms of like a 900 uh, figure, the um, Uncut Gems is actually the fourth highest in film history to use the word fuck mm. in its movie. In its yeah. film. And the one that's at first place is a, uh, I think it's a documentary um, called Swearnet, the movie. Um, that mm -hmm. uses the word 935 times. Yeah, right. And then the second one is also a documentary, right? It's called Fuck the Documentary or something like that. And then yeah. you got Wolf of Wall Street. And then you've yep. got this. That's incredible. Yeah, that's right. yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I think that, like, I didn't, I mean, like, yeah, I knew how many times or, like, the um, pace or the degree of them saying the word, right, in this movie. But I think that uh, I actually saw a YouTube, of, it was a, um, Twitter video, it was a video on Twitter from Netflix actually. And mm -hmm. they like had a compilation of every time that the word was uttered um, in the movie. <laughs> and they had like a counter and everything. And like, I think that when it's grouped together like that in like a four minute video or something like that, you do really understand just how many times it is actually said. And you know, like so many times in the same sort of like sentence, same sort of like, yeah, it's, it's crazy to like sort of look back on and just think about it in, you know, this much detail and about, um, yeah, how many were, how many times it was said. You're going to have to link that tweet in the episode notes, mate. The listeners are going to want to watch that one. <laughs> oh, well. uh, and then the other ones that I have is that uh, Kevin Garnett's casting as the NBA player 
is serendipitous as his surname is a homophone for a gemstone, um, gemstone, uh, Garnet, mm -hmm. um, just without the second T in uh, yep. Kevin's name. And Adam Sandler's base salary for acting in a movie is usually $20 million. This film's entire budget was $19 million. Wow, that's interesting. I've got one more fun fact to pile in on here. This is the first time Adam Sandler has ever been murdered in a movie. Really? Yeah, yeah. That's I mean, all. I, no, I, I could think of a few other movies where I'd probably want, you know, his character. <laughs> <laughs> but we'll lead on from that, Stewie, because we will go into the ending now. And I think that it's important to properly sort of try and understand the ending and try and sort of explain the ending because I feel like, you know, we were talking about this as well, that, you know, sort of like left it on a bit of a cliffhanger in different like sorts of regards as well. Like, you know, you had a lot of different characters in a lot of different places at the end of the movie and they sort of like left it open. They sort of like had a scene on a particular character, whether it was Howard lying on the ground, whether it was the thugs um, looting the jewellery store, whether it was Julie coming home um, with the winnings, whether it was like Kevin Garnett, um, you know, celebrating the game seven win. And so like, I don't think they really ever sort of closed it off, did they? Mm. Nah, they didn't. So the main story, the story is about Howard, right? You find out what happens to Howard, he's dead. And that's, that's all good. And that's good enough to wrap the movie up. But what we discussed after watching the movie was, you know, some kind of cut scene, some kind of epilogue would have been great where you just saw what happened with uh, with Dina and the kids after they called the police. Mm -hmm. Did the thugs get arrested? Did Julia come home? Um, I guess we know what happened with Kevin Garnett. Um, I think Boston went on to, to lose the final series that year. Yeah, to Miami. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, um, you know, um, it, it just would have been nice you know, it's probably it's it's a fantastic movie. Take take nothing away from from how good the movie is, but it's just a small nitpick, and I think I understand why they did it. But you know, um, it's still like ah, oh, I want more, but I don't want a sequel. You know, I just want to know how this all wraps up. Yeah, that's right. And actually, yeah, when I was just saying it before, I didn't even think about um, you know his his wife or ex-wife and um, his kids or anything like that. And so, yeah, that's another great point. And I think that, you know, like I think that it would have ended badly for everyone regardless, um, you know, if it had sort of like come, had it actually continued on. Um, I think that, you know, Julia would have eventually got to the store, seen Howard dead, um, mm -hmm. you know, maybe the thugs there were waiting for her, um, would have taken the money, maybe shot her as well. Um, yeah, I think that, you know, like even the police, right, like, you know, the police could have been called, gone to the shop, either mm -hmm. seen the thugs there, arrested them, I don't know, like there were just so many different possibilities that it could actually have, and we didn't get to see any, any of them. Yeah, I guess that's, you know, that's something that filmmakers like to do, though, they like to have, you know, these ambiguous endings that, uh, you know, you kind of draw your own conclusions and, you know, Although I would have liked an extra couple of minutes just explaining that or, you know, a cut scene or even some writing on the screen, I suppose. Um, I guess, uh, you know, the way they left it was kind of their attempt to, to give us one of those, you know, um, ambiguous endings. 
Yeah, and I think that like the ending as well was just like so shocking. Um, I think that I said this um, in my assessment of the movie just before as well. I think that like it just sort of like made you be like, oh my god, like you know, like that sort of um, yeah, that sort of reaction. And like I sort of was thinking about like other movies that have sort of elicited that reaction, like especially in like the climax at the ending of the movie, like you know how like things can just like change so suddenly, and. Mm -hmm. I think the only one that I can properly think back to where I was potentially like that was Seven. Um, okay, the, yeah. The stars, I think, Brad Pitt and... Um, Morgan Freeman. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, you know, like that scene, like, with the head in the box at the end, like, you know, like, it's just, like, something, like, you think that, like, everything is going to be, like, wrapped up nicely and then just, like, in an instant, like, it just changes and mm -hmm. ends. And yeah. so... I think that, yeah, like, I think that it is good in that regard. Like, it does, like, keep you thinking. Like, it, you know, it keeps you on your toes. It keeps you thinking even after the movie. And, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, so I think that, and, again, like, I go back to, like, I think it was done really well in this movie, um, how it ended. Um, mm -hmm. And sort of, like, left it up for your own interpretation. Um, and, yeah, I think that it's just a continuation of, like, how good this movie is and in the different ways. Yeah, absolutely. Completely agree, mate. All right, we'll move on now to looking at references to history. And there are a couple, um, obviously. The main plot uh, revolves around Howard placing bets on basketball games. And so the couple of basketball games that we get, are, um, I think it's the semifinals um, of the Eastern Conference finals um, in 2012. This particular series is against the Boston Celtics and the Philadelphia 76ers. So we do get a couple of scenes with archive footage of game five and seven of the, that particular series and some mention of game six. Um, and yeah, so these were all real games. Um, they got the footage to use in these particular instances of whatever how it is watching it on TV. And yeah, so in this regard, like those games are actually real. Kevin Garnett actually did play in them. And all the references to his sort of stat lines um, were true. And so, like, you know, in that game six, when he didn't have the Opal, um, you know, he did only have nine points in that game. This is a KG, huh? Oh, three for 11? What the fuck? Yeah, he looks tortured. That fucking guy tried to steal an Opal from me. Your Opal? The Opal came? came, yeah. Yeah? Yeah, and stupidly, I lent it to this motherfucker. No. What do you mean, he took it? He stole it? He didn't steal it. He got carried away. He thinks it has magic powers. Magic powers? <laughs> yeah. No. Really? Look, look at him tonight without it. He didn't have it tonight. Look how fucking bad he played. He's, it's, he wants to own it. So I tell him, come to the auction, fucking make a bid for it. And so, you know, you sort of led to believe that you know, obviously this is a fictionalised version of Kevin Garnett as well, but, you know, it's a fictionalised version of him that they sort of work into a real-life storyline by using these real examples of events. Yeah, yeah. So actually choosing, once Kevin Garnett was cast, we'll get to casting, casting what-ifs later, but once Kevin Garnett was actually cast, um, they chose the period for the movie, so the movie set in 2012, obviously, because Kevin Garnett... Kevin Garnett had three games, game five where he run amok, game six where he was not so good, and then game seven when he was up and about again. That's that's how they chose like the uh, the time frame for the movie. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and uh, 
A couple of others as well is that former Celtics coach Doc Rivers actually recorded a voiceover for the film, and so his halftime speech revolving around a Roach's line was based on a real speech that he gave his current team, the LA Clippers, during a playoff game against the Golden State Warriors. I need everyone in here to lock in. KG, look at KG. Remember this, if you want to go quickly, do it alone. But if you want to go far, you do it together. We're like roaches, and you can't kill us. Quick fucking pass and get it to him. And another, and another, and shoot, shoot, shoot. Fuck that shit, fucking duck. Fucking threw his rhythm off. He took him out of the game. Fuck, man. That's your fault. So nice of them to sort of work it in there. And obviously, um, yeah, Doc was the coach at the time. And so, you know, you, you want that to be authentic as well. And so it was pretty good that he was able to do that, even though he was on another team and providing a voice of the role that he was previously in. So I think that that just adds to the authenticity of it. Yep, absolutely. I, I really like it. I like how it's, you know, it's got Kevin Garnett. It was always the plan to have an NBA player in that role as well. Mm. Um, and you know, we've spoken about this, you and I have spoken about it when Dan's been on before, when Kieran's been on before, we've spoken about you know how having real footage can sometimes and you know, proper licensing licensing can sometimes really help a movie, yeah, that's right. And I don't know if we really got like proper sort of like licensing or not, but I mean, like they might have needed to, um, to have that archive footage of games. Um, and, you know, just like in terms of like broadcast licensing, I guess. But I don't think anything is really like totally mentioned otherwise or like seen otherwise. I mean, like you get like his rings and stuff. Um, mm. But, yeah, I think that in terms of licensing, it would just be via the broadcast. Yeah, I reckon they'd probably have to have some permission to use Celtics training facilities and the mm. rings 100%. You'd have to get some kind of permission i suppose to show the rings right oh i don't know about that yeah. it's interesting well, if you discussion. don't know mate maybe we'll never know if any of the listeners know and can tell us yep. please Let do us know. absolutely yeah. if uh, kevin garnett if you want to tell us we know kev's a big fan so you know hit us <laughs> up kev <laughs> Uh, and just a couple of the inspirations, um, I guess, in terms of references to history, um, we can include the inspirations for a couple of the characters and a couple of the plot lines. Uh, so the film was inspired by the Safdie brothers' father's time working as a salesman uh, for a man also named Howard in the Manhattan Diamond District. And the Safdie brothers and their father are also Jewish and avid basketball fans. So. Um, you know, they wanted to obviously make a movie about basketball and um, tie it into jewellery as well, which um, they did quite well. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. They really did. And then UC is played by a real-life jeweller, uh, Maxed Agajani. Uh, he was actually embroiled in a social media splat with, spat with rapper Takashi69. Um, in 2018, over a $25,000 bracelet, he said he lent the performer and was never paid for. The situation was covered by several hip hop media news outlets. But I think that again, like I think that it sort of like led, lends itself to uh, sort of inspiration for this movie as well. That uh, you know, real life jeweler or played by a real life jeweler. Um, you know, and these sort of like interactions with 
celebrities as well and not paying off your debts and just holding on to something and thinking that you have something when you don't. And yeah, yeah, there's a lot of layers to it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Another thing I'd like to add in that I think fits in this segment here is The weekend is obviously a part of this movie. And uh, he actually based his character on uh, the 2012 version of himself, which he described as an arrogant prick. Hold up, hold up, hold up, hold up. Stop the music. Stop! Yo, someone passed the weekend to Mike. Where the fuck's the black light? What's going on back there? No, I asked for black light. I'm not performing until there's fucking black light on this fucking stage. Put on the black light! So <laughs> I guess that's a reference to history too. Yeah, no, it definitely is. And uh, I think that, yeah, that is definitely true. I think that that was when he was starting to come into sort of his stardom, uh, at least like at the sort of beginning of his career. And so like that song that he sung as well, I'm pretty sure that that was released in 2011. And so like, you know, that makes sense for him to sing that song and, you know, none of his other sort of hits that came have come in the last sort of three, four years. And mm -hmm. so, like, yeah, I think that it just, like, really, I think it's really important that uh, they've obviously really thought about the time period. Um, yeah. And so, like, they've gotten Kevin Garnett, they've referenced the 2012 um, NBA playoffs, they've gotten a week, The weekend, who was an up-and-coming uh, singer at the time. And so I think that, yeah, it all makes sense in terms of, like, especially going back to The weekend, that, like, you know, he might play a club show he might like be in that sense of like being really arrogant in the start of his career, um, singing songs that were only released like a year um, after this appearance in this movie in 2012, you know. And so, yeah, I think that like just that, that attention to detail in all regards in terms of the time frame and, and the weekend, um, I think that was really good sort of like, you know, really good sort of was really good for the Safety brothers to sort of recognize and realize that and uh you know produce that in their movie. Yeah, and uh just to correct you a little bit there, Jason, not a weekend, not any weekend, not last weekend, not next weekend, but the weekend. That is all. Well, to steal a point from uh Howard. What the fuck is the weekend? I think I really have a future in 3500. And who's this guy? Is it's that... this guy, the weekend. What the fuck is the weekend? He's gonna be major, even though he's from Canada. This guy looks yeah. stupid. <laughs> <laughs> I think even Julia's response there saying, like, he's gonna be major, even though he's from Canada. Um, <laughs> you know, is a bit of a funny. I, don't, I wonder if, uh, yeah, if The weekend had uh, any say in that particular line. Like, you know, it's fashion is home country. <laughs> now, usually in uh, this particular part of the podcast, we would talk about the film's depiction of the sport. And mm. so we've already sort of established that there is no real depiction of the sport. I mean, what you get, you know, you expect it to be good um, because it's actually broadcast of an NBA game. 
And mm -hmm. uh, we were talking about this as well. Um, I don't remember if it was last night or whether it was today, but we talked about uh, that the only proper sport that we see on screen that isn't an NBA broadcast is when uh, Howard and uh, what's his name? Damani. Damani uh, go into a Celtics practice to try and locate and find Kevin. And uh, yeah, Howard sort of steals a ball from someone takes a couple of bounces to the hoop, does a layup, and uh, that's basically the only sport that we get in the movie. Yeah, and I guess this is a good crossover to, you know, um, references to history. I guess it's not, actually. It's just art imitating life, I suppose, because Adam Sandler is a pretty handy basketballer. Um, I'm pretty sure he's played uh, some all-star, uh, not all-star, celebrity games, and uh, he's he's commonly playing at basketball courts around New York uh, all the time, still yeah. to this day. Yeah. Well, then it's really interesting as well that uh, he did a film called Hustle. Uh, yeah. Last year. <laughs> coming, well. up. So, coming up soon on Goals on Film, right? Yes, we will be definitely doing that. That is on the radar. And, uh, you know, by all accounts, another great Adam Sandler movie. And so, you know, maybe like, you know, leading on from this movie, Uncut Gems, the last sort of four years, um, the filmography of Adam Sandler have just heightened and maybe it's just because of basketball movies. Yeah, could be. Do what you I love mean, and you'll never work a day in your life. So maybe yeah. he's, uh, he's, he, he, he's just on, on one of those at the moment. All right. Well, I think that that's it. And so we will move to casting now and I'll just run you through the main cast list. We had Adam Sandler as Howard Ratner, a Jew Jewish jeweller and gambling addict. Lakeith Stanfield as Damani, an intermediary intermediary who recruits clients for Howard, Julia Fox as Julia DeFuel, uh, Howard's employee and girlfriend, Kevin Garnett as himself a professional basketball player for the Boston Celtics, Adina Menzel as Dina Ratner, Howard's soon-to-be ex-wife, and Eric Bogusian as Arno Moradian, a loan shark and Howard's brother-in-law. And so looking at that cast list, thinking about anyone else that the movie featured, what did you think of it? Is there anyone that you particularly want to highlight? Um, I've got a, some fun facts about all these guys, actually. But as far as just purely performances go, you can't go past Sandler. Um, he's incredible in this movie. Uh, I think shout out to Julia Fox as well. I think she plays her role really well. Arno, uh, I can't remember the actor's name. Um, well, I can remember it. I just don't want to pronounce it. Um, he is really good in the movie. Listen, there's not many bad performances in this Lakeith Stanfield is incredible in this movie mm -hmm. you know there, there, there's not a bad performance no and uh I think that yeah we do obviously want to highlight Adam Sandler I think that like this movie and like by all accounts from anyone else who like sort of watched this movie um when it first came out like I think that they all said the same thing and I think that we are saying the same thing as well but like this is a sort of a sort of a a movie of like a new age for Adam Sandler in a way um and so like obviously for like the 20 years prior um he'd always been known as a comedic actor that was the majority of his roles but seeing him in this role and seeing him be like more intense and more like into it and like playing a different character um you know like it was different to see but at the same time I was there thinking like you know he's playing this so well like, why hasn't he done it in the past? Like, why has he had left it up till now to play a role that, like, I believe that he just, like, slotted into so perfectly and was so perfect for? 
Yeah, I think in Hollywood, money talks, and you referenced it earlier. So he gets to this movie, and his base salary for a movie is twenty million. So he's probably doing all right, doing those shitty movies. They've obviously got a fan base somewhere. Um, but yeah, geez, I'm glad he did decide to take a chance on this one and, uh, you know, roles that have uh, come after this. Um, it's good. I like this uh, this new phase of Adam Sandler. Yeah. And so I think that you brought him up before as well uh, in terms of Adam Sandler and not even being nominated for his role in this movie. And so, like, that came as a surprise to a lot of people uh, when the nominations list came out for the uh, Academy Awards. And so I do just want to give you a little bit of an insight into, like, who was actually nominated and who eventually won Best Actor. And uh, I don't know if you would have seen these particular movies or, you know, know these particular actors from these particular movies, but I will read them out to you anyway and maybe just give a bit of an insight as to, you know, whether you feel like Adam Sandler could have won or even been in the nomination category. And I so we had think- John... I think in 2020, I was across the Oscars. I'm pretty sure I was involved in, yeah, I was involved, not voting for the Academy, but uh, (laughs) I was very much involved. I was excited about these Oscars, but please take it away. Uh, So we had Jonathan Price in The Two Popes as Cardinal George Mario Bergoglio. (laughs) We had Adam Driver in Marriage Story as Charlie Barber. Leonardo DiCaprio in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood as Rick Dalton, Antonio Banderas in Pain, as, Pain and Glory as Salvador Malo, and the winner of the eventual category was uh, Joaquin Phoenix um, in Joker as Arthur Fleck slash Joker. Yep, this is one of the Oscars I was very much across. Uh, I was firmly in the uh, Adam Driver camp once Adam Sandler wasn't nominated. Um, yeah, uh, there's some really good performances in there. Leonardo DiCaprio in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Obviously, Joaquin Phoenix and Joker is an iconic role. Um, yeah, yeah. Two Popes, shit movie. Take out Jonathan Price, put in Adam Sandler for Uncut Gems. But as it stands, I don't think it would change the result. Um, yeah. But just side note, anyone who hasn't seen Marriage Story should really watch that movie it's it's a fucking fantastic movie all right i will (laughs) (laughs) as much as i'll say and i'll admit i have not watched many of these movies in which a nomination for best actor was um was there and so and except you haven't seen joker no so except Except Joker. Oh, okay. So there's some good movies for you to watch there, mate. Yes, I will get to it in a few years' time. Don't you worry about that. No, hold my breath. I think that despite me having only watched Joker uh, and Jacqueline Phoenix in Joker, and then comparing that to Adam Sandler in Uncut Gems in the same time period, could have been nominated in the same category. Like if I had to pit both of them together, I would honestly still say that um, Jocelyn Phoenix comes out on top. So, yeah. Yeah, it's a tough field that year. Um, Yeah. Uh, I, yeah, Joaquin Phoenix, too good in that movie. Um, I don't think anyone was beating him. 
I think, uh, yeah, that's probably a good call. Going away from Adam Sandler now, uh, I think that Julia Fox was also a standout in this movie for me. And this was actually her first theatrical release as well. Um, so she'd, I think she'd been like a sort of like socialite type of person um, before going into acting. And so um, I think that the Safdie brothers said that they wanted her in this movie um, based on her pro high profile New York City social life. And so I feel like she was able to like sort of use that in this movie um, to a degree. And so I think that, you know, like, yeah, again, like, just like me thinking that Adam Sandler was, you know, destined to play or, you know, fit perfectly into the role that he did in this movie as Howard Ratner. I feel like Julia Fox just like slotted in perfectly for her first theatrical release. And like, I would have thought that like this was, you know, like she'd been in movies for like years beforehand. Like she was just like that good. She had that screen presence. She knew how to act and um, how to like convey her emotions and um, properly sort of like speak and, and uh, yeah, just the sort of like main things that you associate with acting. I think that she was, she did it so well. Yeah, yeah. Julia Fox was terrific in this movie. Um, I can't say enough good things about her. Um, I can't remember her, her name, but the actress that plays Sandler's wife, um, the voice of well. Elsa. Yeah, yeah she, she was really good. Um, yeah, they were all good. They were all fantastic and, you know, it's a great, I know we've had some nitpicks about lengths of movies and this is on the long side. It is over two hours long, but uh, it's just, it's really good. It's fantastic. And I think all the acting performances obviously play into that. Yeah, I think that, um, you know, yeah, two hours, 15 minutes. It is a long movie. And uh, we, what was the movie that we did two weeks ago that also went for over two hours? Ah, Jerry Maguire. Jerry Maguire, yeah. I, I feel like, you know, like, and yeah, we have talked about this with Dan on that Jerry Maguire episode, how, like, that seemed, like, too long. Um, yeah. And I think that, like, you know, like, a lot of it is, like, the pacing of a movie. But I think that we come back to this movie, how, like, it is just, like, so fast. And, like, you know, you don't really get a breath to really stop and think about what's happening and, um, you know, and then so like I think in that regard, like it doesn't really feel like it's two hours fifteen um, because of that, um, because mm -hmm. you're just like so engrossed and taking everything in. Um, and so I think that that, you know, that the sort of like the runtime for this movie works well, um, just in sort of yeah, in that regard. Absolutely, completely agreed. Run me in for the what ifs, mate. I'm itching to fucking do this. All right, so we've talked about who is in this movie, Stewie. Who could have been in this movie? What are our casting audience for Uncut Gems? Well, listen, the first one I'll talk about, the, there's a lot with the main character, which I'll get to at the end. Um, the first one I'll talk about is Kevin Garnett's role. Um, okay. Originally, because the Safdie brothers are from New York, they're New York Knicks fans, it was going to be Amari Stoudemire um, first. Um, and then that fell through due to some reasons that I couldn't find any information behind. Um, and then it was going to be set current day with Joe Embiid playing the uh, role that Kevin Garnett ended up playing. Um, but then filming got pushed back to fall, which is in the middle of the basketball season. So he was uh, automatically unavailable, which is, uh, you know, it's a bit of a shame. I'm a Philadelphia fan, so it would have been nice to, uh, to see Joe Embiid in there. But uh, unfortunately, he wasn't. 
Now, let's get to the story of the Howard Ratner role. All right. Adam Sandler was initially offered the role 10 years prior to the movie beginning filming. The Safdie brothers had the scripts for about 15 years before it got made. And he was offered the role in 2009 and passed on it. As a matter of fact, when the Safdie brothers approached Adam Sandler's people, they were given the, who the fuck do you guys think you are? This is Adam Sandler. He's not going to be in your movie, right? Um, other names, and I'll go into a little bit on each of these names that were connected to the, uh, to the movie and the role of uh, Howard Ratner, was Harvey Keitel, Sasha Baron Cohen, and Jonah Hill. Um, Harvey Keitel was the closest to being cast. They aged up the character. And the film was very close to starring Keitel and Amari Stoudemire. You know Harvey Keitel? Yeah, I do. How I do you think like... this movie plays out with Harvey Keitel in the lead role? Yeah, well, like the point that you raised about, uh, you know, having like the Safety brothers possibly like, you know, um, raising the age of Howard Ratner uh, for this role. I don't know, like, I feel like you just might need someone who is that sort of, like, middle-aged person uh, mm -hmm. for the role. And so I feel like, you know, like, to me, like, then if you had um, Harvey Keitel in it, like, I would associate him with being more one of, like, sort of the thugs, um, mm -hmm. I feel. And so I don't know, like, I guess, like, you know, it also, like, interwines with each other in terms of, like, the characters um, in this movie and so I'm sure that, you know, if they did go down that path of Harvey Keitel, like he would have given um, a great performance as the jeweler, as the gambling addict of Howard Ratner. But I think that, you know, like, yeah, I think that for me, like, you know, it's hard to go past the look of someone at the same time. Yeah. And so I feel like he'd be too closely um, aligned with uh, the thugs. So. Yeah, I think it would be a different movie with Harvey Keitel. Everyone is aged up. You know, his kids would be older, um, mm. his wife would be older. You'd have a hard time thinking that uh, he'd be with someone like Julia Fox as well, so I doubt she would have got the role. But anyway, I, I kind of agree. Next up is Sasha Baron Cohen, who was attached to the script for one year and actually would be the one guy I'd be kind of interested to see how he did the role. Um, well known for his comedic performances. Um very, very underrated for his dramatic performances. He's a tremendous actor, Sasha Baron Cohen. He did a table read, but he just didn't fit the role, apparently. Josh Safdie compared the table read to the Bizarro Seinfeld episode and told Variety it was Bizarro Gems with Sasha Baron Cohen in it. And uh, Isla Fisher played the Julia Fox role um, in that table read. She was never officially connected to it, but uh, it's a... Some interesting sliding doors um, rather than Adam Sandler and Julia Fox if it was uh, Sasha Baron Cohen and Isla Fisher. Yeah, were they, were they together? They would have been together at the time. Yeah, so. yeah. Crazy. Um, yeah. The last one, Jonah Hill, right? He was super keen to do the movie, particularly when Martin Scorsese attached himself as an executive producer. He told the Safdie brothers that Martin Scorsese is the only person that he will just shut up and do what he's told with. Um, the Safdie brothers had a hard time with the age situation again, this time aging Howard down. Um, they had some real difficulties with that, um, just adjusting the script for Jonah's younger age. 
Um, and in the in the time that they were adjusting the script and kind of catering it to Jonah, Jonah moved on to do one of his own movies. And by doing that movie, he was committed to doing another movie and the time frames just didn't work out. So just to circle it all back, in 2017, the Safdie brothers still had this script, didn't have an actor to play the lead role, and they were at a Netflix movie premiere for one of Adam Sandler's movies. I can't remember which one it is. I think it might have been that, um, that one with Jennifer Aniston, um, the, the, the detective movie. But anyway, it's not important. They were all at the premiere. Um, this time, Adam Sandler, due to the Safdie's previous uh, success with a couple of their other movies, um, was there and was talking to them. And they said, hey, we approached you 10 years ago to do this or eight years ago, it would have been at the time, to play this role of Howard Ratner. Um, Adam Sandler said he was a much mature person this time around when they approached him. He read the script and couldn't believe he'd ever knocked it back and yeah. did the movie. And interestingly, the Safdie brothers Number one target was always Adam Sandler for this role. Even back in 2009 or whatever, when they mm. first were ready to film, um, they always wanted Adam Sandler. And I guess, you know, persistence pays off, you know, and uh, it, it shows in the movie. Yeah. So do you reckon that Adam Sandler knew that his uh, management team chucked out the script? Well, he doesn't explicitly mention it, but he does say that he is a much mature person in 2017 compared to the 2009 version of himself. So I imagine that he was aware. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's interesting. I think that all of those, um, you know, casting what ifs are interesting. And uh, yeah, I feel like Sasha Baron Cohen, Jonah Hill, like you sort of know them for like some, some comedic uh, ventures in film as well. And so like maybe that would have been the same um, going into this role. I know that you mentioned that Sasha Baron Cohen had had uh, some, you know, serious, straightforward roles as well. And, um, of course, Jonah Hill had as well. Um, we've done a couple, we've done one Jonah Hill movie on the, this podcast, Moneyball, and, um, you know, like Wolf of Wall Street. And so, like, we know that he can play that serious role, um, dramatic role. And so, yeah, I don't know. I just feel like, it, I feel like either of them could have been in it, but I'm, at the same time, I'm happy that it was Adam Sandler. Absolutely. So there you go, Jace. That's what you get from casting bodies when I actually do some research. Perfect. We look forward to it every week. All right. Well, the next question that we ask is, is there a relatable character for you, Stewie? Was there anyone like that for you in Uncut Gems? Not really. No. Um, honestly, I'm going to take a pass on this one this week, Jace. So I don't think there was anyone really that I relate to that work in the Diamond District of Manhattan or play NBA or are involved in, you know, popular culture. So <laughs> I don't think that I relate to any characters. What about you, mate? Well, first of all, you missed out on, you know, just being involved in a mob culture there. So now I'm a bit uh, worried if that's actually true. But, uh, yeah, no, I think that the same for me, uh, for the same reasons as you. I don't have anyone in any of these fields. Um, I don't even really think that, you know, the way that they sort of, like, acted the characters, uh, I don't even think that, like, you know, I felt like I could, like, properly see myself in any of them. And, uh, yeah, I think that, that just has to do with, like, their roles within society, um, within this movie. And so, yeah, I just didn't 
see myself connecting with any of that. So I'm taking the pass as well. There you go. Easy done. <laughs> All right. The next prompt that we ask is, uh, you know, if you could have a something movie get made, what would it be and why? And because this one's a little bit different, we are doing something a little bit different with the prompt as well. And we're just doing, if you could have a sports gambling movie get made, what would it be and why? All right. I've actually got something this time. All right. Now, mm -hmm. the main actor, I'd love to get like Brad Pitt, Daniel Day-Lewis, Leonardo DiCaprio, right? Just playing a guy sitting on his couch, okay? He pulls up his sports bet app or whatever the American equivalent is, and he places a five-leg multi, okay? He gets crazy with it. He gets crazy with his five-leg multi. He chucks 50 bucks on, and it's paying like $200 million if it comes off, Right? So you see him play the bet, place the bet, maybe some friends cancel on him or whatever. So he's like, ah, just chilling at home tonight. And then you sit down on the couch, he turns on the TV to start watching these five games that he's bet on, okay? The camera zooms in on the TV and each of the five games play out in maybe 20-minute increments. They're all, you know, yeah, big-name actors in each of them. Maybe you've got a hockey game, a footy game. Yeah something like that and it just tells you a little bit of backstory so essentially it's like five mini stories inside mm -hmm. the movie and it's you know brad pitt daniel day lewis leonardo DiCaprio, someone like that occasionally it flashes back when he wins he wins he wins and just sort of to pay homage to the safi brothers the movie cuts off just before the last game finishes so you never know if he actually wins the bet but there's some kind of tension going on. Maybe, um, maybe he owes money to someone or he wants to buy something. And when you get the two-minute or five-minute flashbacks, he's on the phone or he's trying to sort something out. And Yeah, I just think that would be cool. I would fucking watch the shit out of that movie. I reckon it would be dope. That's, that's such a great concept. Yeah. I was so engrossed in everything that you were saying. I think that like splitting it up into five different... Uh, you know, sports, five different bets. Uh, mm -hmm. I think that's great. I really, really like that idea. About time I got some bat on ball, mate. <laughs> <laughs> what do you got mine, for us, Bell? Mine I don't think is anywhere near exciting as that, but I do have one. Uh, mine is just like so often, right, you see a lot of sports stars sort of betting on themselves, betting on their own team, betting on the outcome of games um, for a league that they're a part of. And so mine would just be sort of like diving a bit deeper into that. And so mine would be about someone on a sports team. It doesn't matter what sport it is, but, you know, I'm like they've got bets on the game. They've got bets on themselves. They've got bets on their teammates. And, um, you know, like it never really comes to fruition um, in any sense. There might be a stretch where, you know, he doesn't get up and, you know, you see him get like a bit upset at the start. And then like, as you know, each game progresses as each of his Bets doesn't get up, um, you know, he's trying to obviously influence that all um, as, you know, the progression of his bets not getting up, he just gets more and more frustrated, more and more aggravated, and uh, it just turns into a bigger thing, and it just turns into, like, you know, more so a story about, like, his sort of reaction, and I think that there'll be repercussions for him, just like, you know, even when people don't know about his betting, but just, like, you know, how it influences his uh, team chemistry and all that, and so, he just gets laid off by the team um, and sort of is, goes out for revenge after that. 
Edge of the Crowd presents two fucking fantastic sports gambling movies. Let's make it happen. Who would have thought that uh, both of our you know, great ideas for movies would involve gambling? <laughs> I think the less said about that, the better, mate. <laughs> <laughs> that does now bring us to the end of this episode, this gem of an episode. So, Stewie, would you like to share your social media handles? and any other avenues and platforms where our listeners can see, hear, or read you. Absolutely, mate. Um, you can see me if you just walk up to me in the street. If you say, hey, how you going? I'll say, g'day, how you doing? Um, so that's always an option. Um, it's unlikely, though. So if you want to hit me up, at Stewie is sick of it on Twitter, at Stewie the Sports Guy on Instagram and TikTok. Um, every now and then, I put pen to paper and uh, put some up on edgeofthecrowd.com, Australia's leading sports, pop culture and politics website. And, uh, you know, look out for the Australian World Cup podcast for the Women's World Cup that is coming up very, very soon. Jace, where can we find you, mate? Yeah, well, you can follow me on all of the socials. That's TikTok, Twitter and Instagram. I'm at the same handle for all of them. That's at Jace Irves. You can also read any of my stories on Edge of the Crowd or The Barrier Truth up here in Broken Hill. You have been listening to Goals on Film. You can find Goals on Film on Twitter and Instagram at Goals on Film Pod. You can also subscribe to our YouTube channel uh, where we'll be posting video highlights after each episode. Goals on Film is part of the Edge of the Crowd network. You can find Edge of the Crowd on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at Edge of the Crowd. You can also view any of our stories about sport, culture, or politics on our website, www.edgeofthecrowd.com. Until next week, thanks for listening.